Do you know a woman who is driving positive change, growth, or innovation in her organization or community? The second annual Success Women of Influence Awards are underway. So whether a friend, a family member, or peer, give the recognition she deserves. The Success Women of Influence Awards honor, celebrate, and empower the extraordinary women whose contributions have impacted their industries and their communities, and the personal and professional lives of those in their world. Visit success.com slash W-O-I to nominate the women of influence in your life today. My day. Back in my day. (laughs) In the early 2000s. If you wanted to own a piece of blue chip art, you also needed to be able to cut a check for $10 million. Now you can just log into Masterworks, which is an investment platform that sells shares of art. And they buy the artwork, set up an LLC to hold the artwork, and then sell you shares as a member of Masterworks. Mm. So you can buy a sliver of a Basquiat or a Banksy and enjoy returns that are allegedly Upwards of 14% annually, plus, 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 plus. Now that is... <laughs> All I heard was allegedly. Allegedly, because we're going to get into how they do their numbers. But like, that's twice the conservative estimate that is used for the stock market. And so, you know, I can see why why people would get excited. Welcome to the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success, where we explore life at the intersection of money. I'm Kirsten. And I'm Julian. And today we're talking about alternative investments, such as investing in professional sports teams, music catalogs, and art. Yes. But first, please rate and review the Rich and Regular Podcast wherever you listen to the show. And remember that we love hearing from you. So if you have any questions or topics that you want us to address in the show, you can use the contact page on richandregular.com or you can join our mailing list. If you want to receive updates on happenings from in-person events to classes to content across all of our platforms, you can join our list at richandregular.com slash mail. All right. I love it. All right. I'm excited to jump into today's episode because you know what's really interesting about the idea of owning a sports team? What? I've never really thought about it. (laughs) Okay. I think about everything. You should be listening to this podcast. I mean, obviously, it's a very male-dominated field, you know, and uh, as I was thinking about it, as much as I've always envisioned myself building wealth, I've never imagined myself as a sports team owner, which is, you know, I enjoy watching sports. I've thought about owning several things, but I've never thought about a sports team as one of them. And I'm a little excited about this as an opportunity for this generation of women, because I think there are a lot more clear and dare I say, admirable examples of women being owners of major sports teams in the media. And I think that will help the next generation broaden their imagination a bit, at least a little more than I did, you know, when I was younger. Yeah. So, no, I I agree. I think off the top of my head, there are really only a few women owners that I can think of, like even when I was a kid. So there was, there was, uh, her her name was Marge, Marge Schott. I think I'm saying that correctly. She was the owner of the Cincinnati Reds. And I only remember that because there were a couple of players that were on the Reds. But I also remember like, like she was not really known for being like a nice person. Like there was all kinds of drama and things that were happening behind the scenes. But I would say now, 
probably the most notable example would be Jeannie Buss, Mm -hmm. who took over for her father and she owns the Lakers. She's probably the most prominent example. I would I would jokingly add, obviously, I know this is not real, but uh, the character in uh, Ted Lasso. Oh, Rebecca. Rebecca. Yes. Rebecca. And and again, she's not real person. But I think to your point about like being younger and like having these as examples, like those visuals in media, whether it's real or fake, as in the case of Ted Lasso, like they do mean something. They do help people kind of envision themselves uh, as one day potentially being that person. So yeah, I could could see how not having those visuals would contribute to you not even be able to do it. Now, I also never imagined myself (laughs) as an owner, but that was for a completely different set of reasons because I just had a very clear idea of who I was going to be. And like, to me, like owning a baseball team, I grew up in New York, that was like being George Steinbrenner. So it was was not something that it was like, oh, that's just, it's like a royalty thing. It was like, I'm not a Steinbrenner, so I'll never be an owner, obviously. You know, we know a lot has changed, but all that to say, I never envisioned it either. But now... To your point, so much has changed. And I think the evolution of even the way that ownership looks has changed. And there's so many other opportunities for people, especially those who are in sports. We're going to talk about a couple of other alternative investments on this podcast, but specifically as it relates to ownership in sports teams, like that is actually a very real thing. Like a lot of people can do it and a lot of people are actually doing. So we're going to talk about that. Obviously, that doesn't mean you're going to be hosting friends and yeah, the we owners. Say owner. I'm, not, I'm not saying, hey, let's talk about the way that you can own. <laughs> buy a you team. Know, just buy the Chicago You can own Bulls. a share, a fraction. You can own a tiny slice, right? <laughs> like you're not hosting your, your, your birthday party, you know, <laughs> at the owner's suite because you are an owner of the Chicago Bulls or something like that. Like that's yeah. not what we're talking about. Yeah. So we should probably step back and clarify. Yeah, just tuck your dreams away. <laughs> Like that's, we're not running we the play stock owner, on not how to, yeah, you get to be an owner <laughs> of the Atlanta Hawks. Like, no. So before we get into how they work, I want to start by just defining what alternative investments are. And yeah. it's basically any investment that's not stocks, bonds, or cash. So it could be real estate, fine art, music royalties, sports teams, wine, gold. I was Did y'all say see pre- precious metal? Yes. Costco is selling, selling gold bricks now. And you know, they're selling out. So people are interested. Now we'll get into a few reasons why people invest in alts during the episode. But one big reason why people invest in alternatives is because they want diversification across asset classes. Can we pause right there for a second? Because like alts, right? That's that's <laughs> kind of like that's inside baseball language. Like alts is like short for alternative, alternative investment. I don't know if you plan on saying alts. I'm going to say alts a lot okay. because alternative is just hard on the mouth. Okay, like, well, alts... <laughs> Alts. Yeah. So people invest in alts because they want diversification across asset classes. So if you think about it, if you think about the stock market as businesses in action, sometimes there are threats in the world that may disrupt business activity. So in those cases, people who have money that want to invest want to buy things that don't follow the performance of the stock market. So gold is a great example. Typically, when stock prices go down, gold goes up in the short term, which is why Costco is selling it and people are buying it. Sports is another great example. The market may be down right now, but the Braves fandom is way up. Now, again, we're talking about in the short term. When you look at a longer time horizon, say something like the past 30 years, then the Dow Jones Industrial Average outperformed all, you know, most, if not all 
alternative asset classes. All right, now don't let the zeitgeist come for you because they'll, <laughs> they'll, 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 they'll present some alternative facts. They will. They sure and will. we're going to get into that too. But, you know, the, we're not talking about the long-term 30-year outlook. We're talking about the appeal of these asset classes in the short term. Yeah. Okay. So let's start with sports team because that's, that's top of mind, at least for me. So if a team is publicly traded, then basically you can buy stock in that team just like you would buy stock of any publicly traded company. So here are a couple of examples. We're not going to go into all of them, but just a couple so you understand what we're talking about. Manchester United, right? So if you're a soccer fan, then you know that name, but they're probably one of the most popular European soccer teams probably ever. They're basically the Yankees or the Lakers of the European Soccer League. It's almost like the Lakers and the Yankees combined. Like that's Manchester United, right? They're a publicly traded company. So their ticker symbol is Manu, M-A-N-U, which, you know, almost like Manu, but depends on where you're from. Manu. And as of October, 2023, a share of M-A-N-U is worth $19. Now that's down from its previous high of $26, which was back in February, 2023. So that's Manchester United. Let's bring it to our local shores here. So if you're a fan of New York sports, then you can invest and own stock in the New York Knicks. Now, I'm not a Knicks fan. Even the idea of owning stock in the Knicks just sounds like a bad investment. Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm just get on my Stephen A. Smith vibe here. Like It was like, that's a that's a, not a great team to say, yes, I would like to invest in. But if you are a hardcore Knicks fan, you absolutely can do that. And I think one of the benefits of that is that you wouldn't just be investing in the Knicks. You'd be investing in the Knicks and the Rangers. So the Rangers are the New York hockey team. Both of them are owned by the same media company and their ticker symbol is MSGS, which stands for Madison Square Garden. And as of October 23, a share in MSGS is valued at $178.96, which is down from $233 back in 2018. Now, what really prompted me to even think about doing this podcast episode was the fairly recent announcement that our local baseball team, which is the Atlanta Braves, would become a publicly traded company. So if you follow us on IG, then you know that we've been, at least I've been, like very heavily into baseball. Our son just started playing, uh, not just, but like last year. He's really into it. He's like pretty much wears his Braves jersey as soon as it comes out the dryer. <laughs> as soon as it comes out the dryer, it's on and it's yeah. back in. His favorite player is Ronald Acuna. He's been playing Little League. Like we're all about baseball so far. And it's been really, really fun. We also spent a lot of time going to the Battery, which is this local mixed-use area here. At the center of it is Truist Park, where the Braves actually play. So like baseball is like a really, really big part of the moment that we're in. And this sort of like took it to a next level because when we saw that the Braves would actually be transitioning, we were like, oh, why not? Why, why not take it, his fandom to the next level and see if we buy him a couple of shares, right? So here's a little bit of, about how that works. So the Atlanta Braves ticker symbol is now B A T R. A, and it was first made available to buy in April of this year, and it launched at around $17 per share. Now, especially if you've been paying attention to the season, so the Braves have been like, they've been having an incredible season. They've got the best record, at least in the regular season. Ronald Acuna, their star player, has been playing really, really well and is now a contender for the MVP. And so the question might be, well, wow, what impact does winning and having a star player have on the stock? Well, again, it started at $17 and now it's at per share. Now that's actually a little bit down from its high of $46, but like that's pretty impressive, right? So from like April to October, 
you hit a couple home runs, you steal a couple bases, yeah. you sell out a couple games, and the stock has more than doubled. It made the news a little bit, which is no big surprise. Here's what they had to say about it on WSB TV. Tell you a little bit about this stock deal. The stocks are a result from a move earlier this week by the Braves' parent company, Liberty Media. The Liberty split the Braves off from the rest of the properties to create Atlanta Braves Holding, Inc. This deal puts the Braves with unique company in the world of sports. The Blue Jays are owned by media company Rogers Communications. Madison Garden Sports owns the New York Knicks and Rangers. And the Packers are publicly owned, a nonprofit corporation owned by hundreds of thousands of shareholders. The Packers' shares, however, do not have value. That will not be the case for the Brave stock. 11 Alive financial expert Andrew Polis says if you want to buy a share of the Braves, it may be best to wait a little while before jumping all in. Yeah, I um, I was about to add that. I mean, I will admit that, you know, hearing that it doubled in six months gave me a little bit of FOMO. Oh, of like, <laughs> dang. Like, what? what have I been doing? What have I Where been doing? Where was I in April? I've not been paying attention. <laughs> And I, I think it's those kinds of stats that really get people excited about individual stock picking. Right. And, you know, I want to be clear, we're not advocating that you go out and buy shares of Atlanta Brave stock. We cut the clip before it completed because the financial expert went on to say, like, and give some some cautionary advice, the same advice that we give, because the reality is it's a brand new stock. And if it has risen because of the team's success, then we all know how quickly that can change. So if you're not willing to lose a bunch of money that quickly, you shouldn't be so excited to invest a bunch of money that quickly. That's exactly the kind of hype that's pretty common with alternative investments, which yeah. is what we're going to get into. So you just want to be aware of what you, you know, what you're reading and listening to before you jump in and invest. But I'm not going to lie, it did get me excited. Like I will probably be looking into getting maybe some shares. <laughs> for for Bo's Christmas gift because it's exciting. Like it's not just the team. It also has that real estate, you know, aspect to it. It's got the battery, which is like he's mixed not gonna <laughs> understand. So to be fair, he understands. He can be obviously yeah, I know you're not just gonna get him that and I really do hope you're kidding, but <laughs> he's not gonna understand. He understands the importance of investing, but he's not gonna understand but here it is. Yeah. Here, Are we gonna get to a, go a game? piece of the brain. No, we're not going to a game. What, oh do no, I, I didn't buy I no ticket. No, no, no. <laughs> Just, you you own a piece of the Braves. I don't understand. Like, good luck explaining that on Christmas morning. Okay, let's talk about the broader world of alts. I'm going to go ahead and use your short version there. So in the past, one of the biggest cons of alternative investments, and I'm starting, I'm starting with the cons for a reason, but one of the biggest cons of alternative investments was that they didn't have the same liquidity as stocks or bonds. If you owned, let's say, a piece of fine art or some rare vintage wine, squeezing out a portion of that value was not as easy as, let's say, selling off a few shares of some other type of stock. With the rise of fintech platforms, though, that is changing. Now, on top of that, there's this generational shift with Gen Z, who is much more interested in short-term investments than previous generations, which that's kind of scary. But uh, no, I, I, you know I understand what? the appeal. Yeah, I get it. You get you it? Go, yeah, I'm going to respond when you're done. Okay. So a couple of stats about Gen Z. So less than 10% of Americans invest in alternative investments. Gen Z said, watch this. 30% of Gen Z and 25% of millennials have dipped their toes into alternative investment space or at least knowledgeable about platforms that are offering those types of investment opportunities. Then you have events like Art Basel, which is like a big 
uh, you call it an event, but it's like a carnival. Like it just takes over Miami. It's an annual event, I'm pretty sure, yep. right? Basically, they reported that in 2022, Gen Z art collectors spent more than 30% of their net worth on buying art, mm-hmm. right? So this is their way of saying like, I am a part of this generation. I, I am not buying into this model of wealth building that my previous generation, like I'm coming to this event, I'm buying things like art, like alt may not even be considered an alternative investment for that generation at this particular rate. And in 2021, this is my last stat, uh, I'm going to call them the under 25s. Uh, this is a stat from 2021, so it might have changed since then. But they spent around $3 billion, either directly or indirectly, attributed to the art market, just to give you a general idea of the size. Now, my guess my suspicion is that a lot of that would have been NFT. That might have been the peak of the NFT craze, but I know yeah. that it's, it's held pretty steady. And, you know, I, I would imagine it's transitioned from non-fungible tokens into yeah. other forms or varieties of art. But yeah, they've got a different taste for, I don't even want to call them alts already because I'm like, you know what? They just have a different taste for these for types investments. of investments. Absolutely. Yeah. And again, we talked about demographic shifts in a couple of episodes ago. I don't remember which one, but Gen Z is just as big as millennials and just as big as boomers. It's a big generation. So they have the ability to shift markets. And I think their interest in alt investments is so on the nose for their anti-establishment, burn it all down approach to money. I remember those days. (laughs) What else do you expect from a digital first mobile everything generation. They've got debt that's at interest rates that don't beat the conservative estimates of, you know, returns of the stock market. Their early adult years are being defined by high inflation, which means that their money has to grow at a much faster rate to keep pace. You know, 9% was a good return when inflation was only at 2%. But now that housing and groceries are growing at double digits, it's less impressive. And on top of that, They've watched companies and institutions melt down over the past decade. So they have less faith in investing in companies and they're just not burdened by a past where gatekeepers don't allow you to do certain things because you don't have enough money. Yeah. Right. Right now they have personal drivers. They, their groceries are delivered. They can wear and lease luxury items. Like they don't know a world where you don't have access to some of the highest appreciating asset classes like fine art just yeah. because you're not a, a billionaire. Yeah, I would I would add to that even their view on entrepreneurship and yes. what that grind should look like or could look like is just completely different from our generation. Absolutely. Right? It's just a lot faster. Everything is faster. You know, AI, they're coming up. I mean, it's just, it's right there it's at right the there. taking for them. Like it's at the core of just about everything that they do. Yeah. So to your point, it's not surprising that they have a completely different point of view on even what, short-term investing means in mm-hmm. the, in, from their point of view. Yeah. Like in my day, if you wanted to own a piece of... <laughs> Just, you, let's save that clip, please. In my day. In back in my day. <laughs> in the early 2000s. If you wanted to own a piece of blue chip art, you also needed to be able to cut a check for $10 million. Right. Now you can just log into Masterworks, which is an investment platform that sells shares of art. And they buy the artwork, set up an LLC to hold the artwork, and then sell you shares as a member of Masterworks. Mm. So you can buy a sliver of a Basquiat or a Banksy and enjoy returns that are allegedly 
upwards of 14% annually. Plus, 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 plus. Now that is... <laughs> All I heard was allegedly. Allegedly, because we're going to get into how they do their numbers. But like, that's twice the conservative estimate that is used for the stock market. And so, you know, I can see why why people would get excited. Yeah, please don't put a don't put a Banksy under my tree. <laughs> I'm going to get you a share, and, a sliver and of and a Banksy. Give me a, a Van Gogh for, <laughs> for Christmas. Okay. So a little bit more about Masterworks. When you buy shares of Masterworks, you're basically buying shares of a company whose sole purpose is to hold and maintain the art in question, which isn't too different from buying a standard share of stock, right? Now, in three to 10 years time, they'll look to sell a piece of that art and split the proceeds with the shareholders. And that's when it sort of shifts a little bit and starts mm-hmm. to morph or feel a little bit more like a crowdfunding or a startup model. I get a little bit of cryptocurrency vibes yeah, there as well. Yeah, this it's is like, where oh, yeah. the, the like, alt starts alting. Yeah, this is <laughs> yeah, this is when the model shifts. It's like, okay, well, that reminds me. Yeah, the me. first part was like, okay, I'm investing in a company that has art. Great, great. I'm, no, I'm buying art. And it's like, well, hold on. Am I <laughs> yeah. buying art no. or am I buying like <laughs> No, you're not buying art. You're buying you a company that invests in art. Okay, yeah. check. Then it's like, all right, well, we're going to sell in three to 10 years and then we'll split the profits with you. And it's like, okay. Three to 10. That's more like a startup. That's more like a non-publicly traded company. Yeah. And then, you know, the other key offering that they promote to members is that if you don't want to wait for the big event, you can actually trade your shares within the Masterworks member network. Which is when, that's another model. That's when it gets real alty. Yeah. 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 Very alty. Alty. Okay. So, so here's their argument, right? And you can obviously like pick up from our tone, like why we are a little bit uh, suspicious of this model, right? Or I shouldn't even say suspicious. Just it's just like, different. Just different. It was yeah. like, okay, well, that sounds like a lot of considerations that I would not necessarily welcome into my life, but okay. <laughs> now, their argument is that art still performs even in high inflationary periods, but there are a few like just flat out red flags that I think people should know about. So a couple that I will say off the top. One is that influencers were promoting it and that's not to knock influencers. We've done some influencer work, but it's necessary to kind of have a market where members can trade shares, but ultimately need to be funded by investors. When you've got influencers kind of parading as if they are also owners, I think it distorts people's perception of who is actually owning it or what you're being a part of. And we've seen countless examples of this, not even just in the art world, but even like in the FTX world, like the way that they basically use celebrity appeal and endorsement to kind of shape the validity or long-term credibility of a company or organization or the investments. So a lot of that happens in this particular space. The other one, and I think this to me is probably the most concerning is that the evaluation of the art itself is done by the organization, which is just a built-in conflict of interest because clearly it is to their best interest to value the art highly, right? right? Like they're not going to say, hey, I own this thing. You should buy a piece, but it's declining in value, right? right? Like they are the people that are owning it, they're selling it and also valuating it. And typically that's done by a third party and that doesn't necessarily remove or conflicts of interest, but it at least creates some separation there. Third is that the idea of earning 39% seems a little too good to be true, and it is. They charge a 1.5% annual fee and then take another 20% of the profits when the art is sold. So when you take out the fees, they basically average out their rate of return. Like that average rate of return looks very similar or much more closely to that of the S&P 500, which should be making an educated investor say, well, then why would I go through or why would I risk doing all of these other things if at 
best. I just net out ending out what I'm much more confident in my understanding or my ability to be able to get just investing in a much more traditional manner. And the last one I'll say is that there's just no guarantee of a secondary market, which I think serves well as a nice backup plan for people who might have concerns about investing, but there's no guarantee for that market even being there, right? You may not necessarily even have people who are interested in buying it or picking up some art that you are selling off. That's always been one of the caveats of investing in art. Yeah, they say that the liquidation event is not guaranteed and that shareholders should be prepared to hold their shares for an indefinite period of time, right? Like there's no, they tell you we're going to sell in three to 10 years. Years, but if there's no buyer in three to ten years, then it's yours. You then own it's, you still they still have art the art. The that art could still be devalued. Exists. It could be completely worthless. It, but yeah, that that is part of it. Yeah, I will also say, or and this is the last thing I'll say before we move on. Like this, none of this is a scam, right? So clearly, you might be able to pick up on our tone, but they are very transparent about what the risks. It's disclosed. Are. I wouldn't say they're very transparent. You got to okay. click around. You got to dig into the paperwork. Well, yeah, they're not going to put it on the home page. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not on the, the home first page. thing that you see. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's it's there, right? Which is one of those things. Like it's there just to kind of help ease any tensions or concerns that somebody might have, but you got to dig a little bit or, you know, you can just subscribe to our podcast. Yeah. We'll we'll summarize it for you. Yeah. I mean, I think the information that they choose and don't choose to put on their homepage is revealing about the level of risk that all investments require. And in some sense, the level of marketing that they require, you know, they tell you that you're paying a fee, but they tell you it's because of, it's for the convenience of being a collector, right? You don't have the hassle of storing the art, ensuring the art, prote- protecting the piece itself. But like, if you had the art, you would at least be able to look at it. In this case, you're, you don't, you can't even see the art that you're investing in, you know, physically, right? So in that sense, it is kind of like an NFT which gives people the heebie-jeebies. And then they never mention the risk involved without a liquidity event, right? They don't mention that they're not protected by the federal governing bodies the same way that traditional stock markets are. They are protected to some extent, but not to all. And then they don't have to present their returns in the same way because they're not a part of that governing body. So it's just a reminder that alternative investments need marketing because they have to create a market. The, the, the stock market has been around for hundreds of years and there yeah. are millions of transactions happening every single day. When we talk about these other markets where things are bought and sold, they have to be created and there is a cost to that. Yeah. So we're going to take a quick break and then come back with more. Are you ready to supercharge your life and get access to more opportunities than you've ever dreamed of? Then join me, James Whitaker, in the Win the Day Accelerator. Presented by Success, this entire eight-part program has been created to help you activate your winning life once and for all. You'll gain clarity on your goals and purpose. You'll learn how to quickly overcome challenges, and you'll get proven tips and frameworks that will deliver you big results fast in all areas of your life. So if you're ready to win, join me in the Win the Day Accelerator. To sign up, visit success.com slash WTD. Okay, so we spent some time talking about sports teams, specifically the Atlanta Braves, our local squad. We spent some time talking about the art world and a lot of the change that we've seen in terms of investments there. And we're seeing some similarities in, or dare I call it a similar play being ran 
but um, ching, <laughs> a little wink, wink to those oh, of our listeners Lord. out there who who get that. But uh, we're, we're seeing a very similar playbook being ran with companies like public.com. And again, I just keep adding like these disclaimers. I'm not knocking public.com, but we are talking about alternative investments. So we want to make sure that we're talking about these things comprehensively and specifically highlighting some of the risks. Public.com just introduced a the ability for people to invest in music royalties as a part of their alt investment platform. So they just added 768 composition tracks from the Shrek film franchise composed by Harry Gregson Williams. And they're positioning this as a cash flow producing asset that pays quarterly dividends. So yes. whenever Shrek is played on a network or a television special air, or it's streamed by Netflix or wherever it is that you may be a big fan of Shrek, any sort of broadcast programming or anytime the music from Shrek is being played, you as an investor would receive a royalty. And public.com is marketing it as an opportunity to earn extra income. They're saying it's not connected to the stock market in any way, which to your earlier point is one of the perks, depending on the time and the sensibilities of that investor of investing in these kinds of investments. And uh, it's a great way to basically balance your portfolio, right? They can say, hey, you've got enough stuff over there. You should probably broaden your horizons a little bit. Look at some things that aren't necessarily tied to the volatility of the crazy things that are happening over there, right? So if you want to, you know, invest in music royalties because you're a big fan of Shrek or whatever it is, this <laughs> yeah. is an opportunity to invest. Not to mention, after 20 years, the Shrek franchise is the second highest grossing animated franchise out there. So for anyone that's saying, like, why would anybody do that? That's why. Oh, right? it's big money. Like it's, it's a massive, massive franchise. Right? I think public so, called it a timeless asset class. Yeah. I was like, oh, I never thought of Shrek as timeless. But I do quote and reference that movie quite a bit. Like yeah. it was... It was a big part of, of my... I didn't realize it was that big. Yeah. But um, but yeah, it is it is that big. So they went on to talk about songs, just to sort of offer some comparisons. They went on to talk about songs like Pharrell by Happy. Like, you know, you got to remember that moment. Like when that yeah. song dropped, which again, from a you know, Despicable Me, right? Makes sense. When that song dropped, it just sort of took over. But what's interesting to me is that they're really kind of drawing a connection between the timelessness of a song or a moment in time and its popularity with this idea of like stability, right? Like, don't you wish that you could invest in something that was or is as timeless as songs like For All Happy, which to be clear, right? Or Mariah Carey, All I Want for Christmas. Because she makes, I think she said 50 million a year off of that. Yeah. And, and and of course, we know exactly when it comes. You know, when people aren't playing that yeah. song, you know exactly when it starts playing. That's when her royalty checks start coming in. And they went on to actually give another Christmas example. There was another song by a guy who owned White Christmas or something like that, right? It was mm-hmm. like, yeah, like songs like this are timeless. You have an opportunity to invest in things like this. And as a result, you get quarterly dividends and so on. I'm not going to lie, though. Like it was giving me, <laughs> it was giving me like, you know, you can buy a star and name it vibes <laughs> a little bit. It's not quite the same. Uh, well, yeah. Because somebody I'm not does saying... own these music worlds. Oh, so I thought you were going to say stars. No, <laughs> stars nobody owns. Nobody owns So what stars. are you buying? But, but you're buying a certificate <laughs> right. that... that that suggests that the star at this particular, I don't even know what it's called. I was going to say latitude, longitude. I have yeah. no idea. I'm not yeah. like an astrologist, but that star over there, 
Like you own that one and I'm going to name it after you. That's what you're going to get for Christmas. If you put a Banksy under my bed, I will get you a twinkle, twinkle, little star. Depending it's an on all how, investment Christmas. Yeah, all, yeah, exactly it. what it will be. Yeah. So be careful because the star might be under your tree. Yeah. I mean, I think they're definitely playing to the sensibilities of people yes. and, you know, stringing an emotional chord around songs, around lovable characters like Shrek yeah. and like the around the ability to get some excess cash. Right. That's the whole div- dividends argument is that like it's money that you didn't have before. It's a piece of your returns. Yeah. Now, what they don't mention as prominently like it is in there but you got to click around and do some digging and some reading is that in contrast to stocks and crypto that are traded on public alt assets that are traded on public can only be traded with other public members members so very similar to masterworks i was about to say so it's like a mini masterworks within yes. their platform if you want to buy and nobody's selling or if you want to sell and nobody's buying your order just remains in a pending state You cannot liquidate your asset if nobody else wants it. Now, also, music royalties are often thought of as being recession-proof. But when there is this middleman involved, like public.com, you have to be careful to look at the fees. And public charges at least five fees that I found for alt investments. They charge a true-up fee, which depending on the asset, they charge anywhere from zero to 10% markup, which enables them to analyze, source, and do due diligence on an investment before they bring it in. So upfront, you're paying, they said an average of 5%, but anywhere between zero and 10% just for them to research the Shrek franchise. Then they charge a secondary market trading fee, which is two and a half percent assessed on each side, buy or sell. They charge a management fee for some, but not all non-cash flowing assets. This is not a non-cash flowing asset, but for cash flowing assets, they may take up to 5% of revenues. They also charge a carry. So if an asset is sold, like if they decide to get rid of the Shrek catalog altogether, they may take 10% of the profits, right? Okay. Well, goodness. So, so who knows what you left with? I'm about to like, say, that's a lot of percentages. There's a lot of percentages. And unlike the stock market or more established markets, there's no like calculator. In the old day, if you wanted music royalties, you had to buy the music. You had to own it. And so you could calculate it based off of no middleman, just your initial investment. Here, like they just started selling shares to Shrek on, I think it was October 5th. So there's not enough data to say whether it's successful or worthwhile, but it gives me the same yellow flags as other alt investments have, where it's just like, man, it's a bit of a gamble. I'm not going to use the word gambling because it is an asset that has some value. I like that. But yellow like, flags. <laughs> Yeah, so it's not as glaringly alarming as a red flag. Yeah. Okay. I like yeah. that. Yellow flags. Uh, we were at a conference earlier this year. Uh, it was a conference for financial advisors, and there were a lot of conversations we sat in on, on this really, really great session. And they were talking about the increase of uh, an interest in investing private wealth into alt investments. So things like farmland. Yeah. And, the private loan market, and even stuff like we're talking about today, fine art and music. And they were basically saying it's been a volatile three-year period. Like they have clients who are looking to reduce some exposure to public markets while and if they can hedge against inflation and generate some income. But the biggest barriers have been a uh, a couple of things. So one, a lack of understanding of the asset. Again, like it's probably the reason why we're expanding it because it always requires like, you know, yeah. so, here's, so here's the thing. <laughs> 
So it's a the little client wants to know this. what am I invested well, in? And how and is it's it like, different? Yeah, and and again, like it's 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 difficult to explain them without saying all the things like it doesn't do or like does that are a little bit more expensive or just inherently riskier than something that they are much more familiar with. So that's been part of it. The other part. Uh, and we've kind of alluded to it, it's just been access. And so like some companies have been using like these waiting lists or other like vetting criterions to like make themselves or, or put themselves in a position to gain access to these things. But very similar to what we were just saying, I think the biggest thing that just turns people off is, are just the fees, like the high fees and the illiquidity or, or the potential for illiquidity of actually investing in these types of assets. So I'm not writing off alts as as an asset class entirely. I think there's still an opportunity somewhere for people who want to invest in them. But um, I just think a couple things need to happen before anyone, especially anyone that's like working class, upper working class. I'll say that even for like, even for millionaires, like you can lose that money real quick. Oh, yeah. If you put too much of your money into these types of asset classes, it, it has happened before. It'll happen again. So yeah. the, I, I understand why there's some concern there. I hope that uh, there's a, a greater effort uh, by all parties, you know, just to kind of help make these things a little bit more transparent, maybe get those fees under control if they actually expect it to be a, an asset class that more people are actually interested in to incorporating into their portfolio. Yeah, I agree. And it's it's hard because right now, education and marketing are treated the same way. So you really have to get into the paperwork Mm. to learn. And I don't think people are used to reading financial statements before deciding what they buy. They look for the Cliff's Notes on financial media, or they might read the front page of a newspaper and you trust that the analysts or the journalists have kind of compiled the important parts for you. And I, Again, this is literally why we invest in indexes. And I think you're right. The other thing that they need to solve for are the fees. It's very expensive, as are most short-term solutions. So if you want your food delivered to you, you know you're going to have to pay for it. Well, if you want the reward of beating the market when it's down in the short term, you're also going to have to pay for that. But excluding that cost of the investment and that risk of of not being able to liquidate just feels like a little too rich for my blood. Like I just, it feels like, and I don't know if I'm just getting old or if I am a conservative investor now. I just feel like the old guy on the porch shouting about the joys of index fund investing and wondering like, why would you do that? Like there's so many short-term opportunities to make money or even just not even worry about like the, we use a conservative investment for a reason. It takes into account inflation. So like, I don't know if I'm washed or not. Like I, I really need to do some soul searching. I think you just need to talk to more older people uh, and, and preferably older people who maybe had a preference for riskier investments that might actually help. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, of course, I'm only going to find the ones that like it paid out. <laughs> and they, right. It worked not, well for them. It's not like there are a bunch of people that are signing up to share their experience. Their losses. How they lost a bunch exactly. of money. And, and this is part of the reason why they're not as rich or are struggling now. Yeah. But yeah, that might be part of the key. Anyway, it sounds like uh, I have a general idea what your final thoughts <laughs> are going to be. But um, yes. why don't you see, uh, why don't you tell us? Tell us what's on your mind. My final thought is absolutely a continuation of my existential question around the marketing of all investments to younger generations. Because what does long term even mean to a generation that's digital first, right? What is, what is time? What is time? <laughs> and it, for real, like the lifespan of companies are much shorter than they used to be. And even regarding 
the fees that are paid. Like this generation is used to paying a fee for everything. And that changes the baseline for what things should cost to their detriment in a lot of cases. But do they care? Right. So while I say that all investments have an education challenge, I think that we do, too. We need to be presenting index funds, investing as passive, self-cleansing, super cheap alternatives to alt investments. Like what if index fund investing is the alt investment? (laughs) This is where you get meta. Y'all rocking with me. I know the listeners understand what I'm saying. Y'all are picking up what I'm putting down. Sounds like a bad movie. (laughs) What's your final thought? Yeah. um, Yeah. Much of the same. You know, I think that, you know, for people, and I kind of said it before, like, you know, it really doesn't matter who you are, but like mutual funds, stocks, bonds, real estate, business ownership, like tried and true components of wealth building for like the last hundred years should be the foundation of your wealth. Like not art, not precious metals, not music royalties, as cool as that sounds, unless you own the actual publishing rights, like Mariah Carey does to that song, right? That's the best way to actually earn a living through it. When it comes to owning shares of stock of a sports team, then you should really be using the same rules of thumb that we would with an individual stock. So one, be clear on the percentage of your total portfolio that you want to expose to that holding. Like you don't want somebody's hamstring to be the reason why you lose 25% of your wealth. Like right. that is a very real case in, in, in a situation like this. Secondly, do the same due diligence you would with any publicly traded company, right? So we want to look at the ownership. We want to look at the history of returns. We want to look at all of those things. You don't basically want to let your fandom be the thing that blinds you from doing your homework. Fandom is intoxicating and friends don't let friends invest drunk. Like that's <laughs> that's my final thought. What? <laughs> Fandom, like people lose their minds. Like I'm a big fan of the Cowboys or the Braves, or it doesn't matter. I trust in their abilities. You sound, you sound like you have been drinking a little bit too much beer. I love it. All right. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Rich and Regular Podcast presented by Success. You know, we don't charge you to listen. So if you like what you heard, consider making an alt investment in the form of a five-star rating and review, (laughs) but without the scammy vibes. (laughs) We'll see y'all next week.